Let's pray. Father, as we come now to your word together, as we hear the stories, the ancient stories of the family of Abraham, we thank you that these stories are for us. For in Christ we are part of your story. And we pray today that your Holy Spirit might make this word alive for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from the book of Genesis, and I'm reading from chapter 18, and then a little bit from chapter 21. Genesis chapter 18, reading from the first verse. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed. And then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There, in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, am I worn out and my my Lord is old? Will Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Then we pick the story up at the beginning of chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah had borne him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. 
And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. I, 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 uh, I just love that image of, of laughter. Um, yesterday, last night, we, Elaine and I were at a wedding reception. And um, one of the things about wedding receptions is that you don't need to wear a mask. And, and there were lots of folk there eating and, and, and drinking and celebrating and dancing. And, and the, the, the little bit of the Presbyterian in me said, this has to be sinful. But actually, it's legal and it's allowed. And as we did that, we, we, we saw young folk particularly and family together celebrating and laughing and full of joy. And I, I was left thinking, this is what it's supposed to be, isn't it? The hope for the future of a wedding and all that that brings forward. And that thought as we celebrated with them of that infectious joy. Laughter. They say many things about laughter, don't they? They say that it's the best medicine. I wonder if we've got a, a picture here, Colin. Have we got the screen here? Yeah, we have. There we have it. Laughter. They say laughter is the best medicine. They say that it is infectious, that it is cathartic. It's good to laugh. We are made physiologically just to enjoy laughing. And when we start with one laughing, a child, an old person, no matter who it is, suddenly that sense that there is joy in the world again. Chapter 21, verse 6. Sarah says, oh, before I do, I've just got, I was looking for pictures and just these pictures of people laughing. It just makes us feel good. Isn't that great? I like that one. Just that sense of, of, of joy. Delight. Here's Sarah, chapter 21, verse 6. She says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears it will laugh with me. Now, there's a great pun in this, because the word for her son, who Abraham's called Isaac, actually means he laughs. So when she says, God has brought me laughter, you can see her with the child in her arms. God has brought me laughter. It's a bit of a joke. It's a pun. And beyond that, it's a ridiculous picture because here's this picture of this old woman with a baby. And you're just, just the joy of this. Isn't this wonderful? And folk will laugh at it and laugh with it. And it will just overflow with delight. The ridiculousness of the whole thing. Sarah, age 90, has brought a son into the world to her husband that is even older than her. The joy, not just of a baby born, but of a promise fulfilled, of a hope that had been there for so long that is suddenly delivered, of the good news that a God has been able to answer the prayer that has been breaking their heart of that place of a future that is guaranteed. Laughter. But this story's laughter is also overshadowed, as we saw in the first passage, with a very different type of laughter. The story before where Sarah laughed to herself at God's promise. There's a different type of laughter, isn't it? Because laughter isn't always full of joy. Laughter can be mockery. 
Laughter can be bitter. Laughter can be laughing at somebody. Laughing can be laughing through clenched teeth. And then Sarah's laughter in chapter 18, it was a cynical, bitter, angry, hurt laughter. This is nonsense. This cannot be. You keep saying this, but it's derisable. It's stupid. I'm struck as we read these chapters that there is a story that goes behind them. And that's why I've been saying to you, if one of the things that you, you might do that will, will help as we go through Genesis is just to read it, because we're not going to look at every passage, but the whole story, the thrust of it, gives a sense that one passage can't give. Because this is the story of Abraham, chapters 12 through to 25, this amazing promise that he's been given. After everything that has gone wrong and the breaking of the world, God is going to heal it by bringing a blessing of healing into the world. And he's doing that by choosing this one man, Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a family. But it's not just that you might have a land and a family and that's very nice. But it's that I'm going to bring my blessing for the whole of the world for all the nations through you. And of course, if we read the whole of the Bible right to the end, we know that that blessing comes in Jesus Christ, in whom the whole of the healing of the world and the reverse of the curse of Genesis will come to be. The story of the family of Abraham. And we, we sort of know that. I don't know, did you sing that when you were young? Father Abraham has many sons. I am one of them and so are you. Um, I don't know if we could sing that anymore. I think we'd have to sing Father Abraham had many daughters and sons, wouldn't we? To be politically correct. But then, hold on a minute. We don't have to be radical feminists to see the problem, do we? Father Abraham had many sons. What about Mother Sarah? Maybe a woman has something to do with it when a child is brought into the world. Maybe? Just a bit? Yeah. I remember standing there feeling as hopeless as you could hopelessly feel as all the, the breathing and the exercise and the work and the pain was taken on by my wife. In these chapters, though, three times God comes to Abraham with this promise. Chapter 12, he says, you will have many offspring and they will fill the land. Chapter 15, he comes back and he repeats the promises. He shows Abraham the stars. He says, you will have all these children. And Abraham says at that point, the only way I can do it is adopting a child. And God says, no, you will have the children. They will be your children that will fulfill this promise. Your own flesh and blood. And then chapter 17, God comes back again. And there he specifically says, this will not just come through your flesh and blood. It will be your wife, Sarah that I will use to bring this promise true. Named and specific, she will bear you a son. So this promise of God, this amazing promise that is not just for this family's blessing, but is for the whole of creation's blessing, will come through Sarah. She is explicitly and by name included in this promise. Now here's a thought right away. As we hear the truth of the gospel, as we hear God's plan to bring a new creation into being, as we think about his son risen from the dead as the first fruits of all that believe, do we understand that this promise that God has given is yes for the whole of creation, but it is very specifically 
for me and for you by name. Do we get that? This is God's promise for the whole of creation and for Lorna. This is God's promise for the whole of creation and for Fraser. This matters. This really matters. You know, Sarah was obviously caught up in this promise. She had been there with Abraham through the whole thing. She'd heard it. No doubt as Abraham had had these big visions or had had these dreams where God had spoken to him, he'd come back and shared that with his wife. She knew it. In fact, if you read the chapters, you'll see that she's concerned about how it's going to happen. She's got her own ideas about how I can't have children, so maybe my slave girl can and we we can work this out together, Abraham. She's there. But the trouble almost is that although she's hearing this big promise God has had up until this point, it's not been very personal. Sarah is excluded. And we can't fully understand this full chapter, but we get this sense, even as these important guests come, that Sarah is in the tent. She's baking the bread. She's doing the hospitality. Is that because in the culture, a woman didn't come and meet male guests? We don't know. We're guessing. Or was it her choice that she was hiding away because she was ashamed and broken and, and tearful? We don't know. But wherever it is, she is withdrawn from the scene. Until God speaks through these mysterious visitors with a simple question. Where is Sarah? Where is Sarah? And at that point, that woman is being called out. Whatever else God is doing, whatever else God's plan is, whatever else God's power is, he is saying to that one person at that point, where are you? Where are you? You know, it's, it's, it's quite strange, actually, because the, the, the gender dynamics of this, we, we, we often see uh, religion in our society as being something that women are more concerned with than men. I, I remember years ago doing a parish visitation and calling on a home. They weren't churchgoers at all. Knocked on the door. Said we're from the church. Uh, and the, the guy ent- uh, answered the door. Uh, and the first thing he said was, I don't have any money. <laughs> he said something about the assumptions. He said, we're not there for your money. We're, we're here to share with you something of, of the message that we have uh, uh, as a church. Uh, the good news of the gospel. And his, his next comment was, I'm sorry, my wife's not in. And that assumption that this religion was all about women and men suddenly stood back from it. That was probably the opposite of the way it would have been in ancient times where the culture would have seen it the opposite way around. That religion, the religion of the household was a matter for the men. Men chose what gods the household worshipped and the women just had to, and the children had to go with that. And so in that context, this question becomes very pertinent. Where is Sarah? I'm calling her to an encounter with me. I want to meet with her. I'm not just saying I call Abraham and his household and whoever's there and you're just one of them. I actually want to know where you are, God is saying. Now, I think there are many people 
who are part of churches today and many parts of our own lives where we might relate to that. We, we sort of know this promise that God has given and we, we know what he's promised to his church and we know what he's doing through his church. But somehow, it's not got to us personally. It's passed us by. It's not really about me. Yeah, I know these things are true because my minister told me, my husband told me, my wife told me, my parents told me, and I've never rejected them. I'm there like Sarah was. She was following, but it's not hit me personally. I, I, I don't know what your story is, but I, I grew up in, in the church. I grew up with parents that believed. They were both elders, Church of Scotland elders. I went to Sunday school. I did all the things that we might do, but there just came a point in, in, in my life where I, I looked around and I realized some of my friends were beginning to talk quite openly about Jesus in their life. And I began to realize that actually, what about me? Where am I with all of this? Some of you relate to that? Where am I with all of this? It's not going to be good enough that I go to church. It's not going to be good enough that I, I share the, the faith of my parents or, or the faith of, of whatever it is I've been brought up in. But where am I with that? And it was, it was verses from the Bible that came to me which said, he, Jesus said, here I am. I, I'm at the door and I'm... Are you... I want to meet you. In fact, there's, there, there's, there's harder verses that touched me in Revelation 3 where Jesus says, are you hot or are you cold? Make up your mind. And that call to have a personal relationship with God. Where are you? The Lord coming and addressing you personally. Where are you? I want to know you. And I want you to know that the promises I have aren't vague promises. They are for you. They're about you. They're about liberating you to be part of my plan personally. Of course, the experiences are different for different people. Abraham saw visions and, and walked with God in a different way. Sarah, well, God came to her in disguise. <laughs> in these guys, these visitors, and he did it as she was baking bread. It doesn't need to be dramatic, but it always, always needs to be personal. And here is God coming into Sarah's domestic space. She's not doing anything remarkable. But as he comes, he says, I am working out a huge plan for all creation. And it involves your life, Sarah. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you, Sarah? Of course, Sarah laughs. She laughs. Verse 18 to, uh, verse, uh, sorry, chapter 18, verses 11 to 12, we see this. I am worn out. Can you feel that? I think some of us can at the moment. I'm good for nothing. I'm useless. If I had any energy to do the stuff you want me to do, Lord, it was 40 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Go and ask somebody that's younger. You know, I, I, lots of folks say that in, in churches these days, <laughs> don't they? Ah, it's time for me to stop doing this and let younger people do it. Well, look round. Because God's calling lots of older people. You know, there's no retirement plan in the kingdom of heaven. There's only a different job. 
Sometimes we do have to step down from things, but it's always to do something else, even if it's just being at home and praying. But Sarah, with disdain, said all of these things, it's useless. It's useless. Nothing can possibly change. I'm going to keep hearing these promises of God, but they're not for me. In verse 13, a question is asked of Sarah, and it is a very pertinent one that God says, why did Sarah laugh? And I I was reading through this chapter, I, I was trying to consider that. Why did she laugh? And we might say, well, there's sort of two answers here. One, one answer that we might say, and I, I could have preached the sermon this way, is saying that why Sarah laughs is because Sarah has shockingly low self-esteem. And, and some of us suffer from low self-esteem, don't we? We, just, we, we think we're useless. And, and maybe Sarah had low self-esteem. Here she is, I, I'm too old, I'm not able, I'm worn out. Yeah, I can believe that God's got a super plan. A super plan for Abraham and for all these children. A super plan for our descendants. A super plan for the world. A super plan to do all sorts of amazing things. But, nah, it's not going to involve me. I'm useless. And I think there's some folk in church that actually suffer from that. It's not that they don't believe that God's going to do amazing things. They just don't believe it's going to be for them. God's going to use other people. They've got all these amazing gifts. They've got all this amazing confidence. And I don't. You know, one of the things... (laughs) And I know this from pastoral experience. Is, see, when you start to, we start to share that, you'll find you're not the only one. There's a shocking number of us that are putting brave faces on crushingly low self-esteem. So, what's the solution? Well, the solution could have been that God sort of took Sarah and said, actually, Sarah, you're not useless. You're wonderful. You know, you've got so much in you. Your womb is just so fruitful. You could bear a hundred children. You can do anything, Sarah. Let me lift up your low self-esteem. You are so fantastic. See that baking you've just done? It's brilliant. You've got a real gift for that, Sarah. Let's make you feel better about yourself. Now, some of that is useful. There is a lot of emphasis in our society just now, isn't there, about raising people's self-esteem, particularly with children. Make people feel that they actually are useful, that they actually are valuable, that they do have something to contribute. And there's a lot of good in that. But it'll only take you so far. Because sometimes it's true that the things that people are saying they can't do, they can't do. It doesn't matter how much self-esteem you give a 90-year-old woman, she's not going to have lots of children. She's not got it in her. No amount of encouragement or positive mental attitude is going to solve that problem. And, and for a lot of people in our society today, yes, it's good if we can give them a high self-esteem. I'm not knocking that. But that's not the whole problem. If the system's against you, if the odds are stacked against you, if the, if, if the economics are wrong, it doesn't matter how much we lift you up, there's a problem that's going to completely wreck you and crush you down. The problem of possibility. It will not do to go into a school and tell lots of children, believe in yourself, you can all be doctors. No, you can't. And that's not what God says here. What is God's answer to Sarah's laughter when she says, I'm too old, it's too hard, it's too difficult? What is said in all of that is this. Is anything too hard for the Lord. This isn't about Sarah's ability. 
It's about God's ability. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think some of us need to hear that. Because as we feel trapped, and as we feel that actually, although we believe all these things, our what with God can't really be transformed. We've got nothing to offer. The sins that are in our lives that we fight, we can't really avoid them. We can't really be changed. To the point that some of us have got that we've accepted the situation. We've just thought, that's just me. Just how it is. We've accepted our, our low level of prayer, our low level of spiritual awareness. We've just sort of got used to it. And here, here as we go there, there's a problem. Because part of that is that, that it might be that we've just got comfortable with it. Or it might be that we're really depressed by it. But we're in either sense, we're, we're sort of stuck there. And yet, this is the word that comes in this chapter. Nothing is impossible for God. That's the hope of the gospel. That things that we can't solve, that we can't do, that we can't change, God's power can. And that is the hope of the gospel. God's salvation plan that is going to bring life out of death, that is going to bring a new creation out of a broken creation, also has the power to change you and me. We are not too hard nuts to crack. If God can raise a son from the dead... If that power is at work in you, that's what Paul talks about, the power of the resurrection, the power of God to bring life out of the death of an empty tomb is released into the world and is in you through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you can be transformed by God's power. And this is really key for Christians. This is why we worship, not because we find ourselves positive about our our esteem, but because we begin to see the power of God, because we begin to wonder at the unconditional love for God, despite the fact that we're broken and we're barren and we can't do things and we can't produce things. It's not that God looks at us and thinks, I can see hidden in depths in you that you can't see in yourself. He may well do that. It's that God looks in you and says, not only do I see all the things that you know are broken about you, I see the things that you're not even admitting that are even more broken about you. And I love you anyway. And I include you in my plan anyway. And I have a purpose and a plan for your life anyway. And I'm going to put my Holy Spirit into you anyway. Because I am able to bring life from the death. And so all your brokenness, all your sinfulness, all your failures, you don't need to deny or run from because you're in the hands of the Lord who sees all of these things and says, I can work with that. And we, in our Scots humility, say, oh no, no me. And we think that's humility. It's actually the biggest blasphemy in the world because what you're saying to God is, you can't do that. You can raise your son from the dead, but no, no me. Sarah laughs. And yet God can do it. And Sarah's cynicism so quickly turns to lies, doesn't it? I didn't laugh. Because she's worried. She's worried about being seen for who she is. It's amazing that God simply says, yes, you did. I see you. I know you. I see your bitterness. 
and I hold it. Give it to me. Then we find it. If you read the story right through, you'll see even more of this because Sarah isn't an unbeliever. She believes all of these things. She gets Abraham's vision. She gets the plan that God has. She's committed to it, but again, she can't think she's included. That's why we get this story about Sarah and Hagar. Do you remember the story? She goes to Abraham and she says, you have to have all these children. I can't have all these children. Here's my slave girl. Have the slave girl and have children by her and, 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 and that will be how the promise is fulfilled. And again, why is Sarah doing that? It's, she's doing that because she believes in the promise. Just doesn't believe that actually she's got anything that she can contribute or God can use her. And some of us are like that in churches today, aren't they? It ends in disaster, actually, because Sarah and Hagar end up jealous of each other and Ishmael, who's born, is not God's plan at all and this isn't going to work. It's a disaster. But even in that disaster, God comes. God comes. You know, today we may well believe in the church. We may well believe in all the things that we want to do together in our community and and that's all good, but at the heart of it is that question. Where are you with God? Where are you? Now, I want to be very clear what I'm not saying here because I can leave you with a whole load of guilt because you can go out from here thinking, well, what the minister said today is if I pray hard enough, God will do the impossible things. If I believe hard enough, God will bless my life and he will make it full. That's not what the gospel is saying. Be very careful about this. The person who prayed the most The person who lived the most spiritual life had the most rotten life, and that was Jesus, wasn't it? He was rejected by everybody and crucified. So it's not saying, oh, your life will be fantastic if only you believe. And here's the point about Sarah. It's saying Sarah got all this blessing because Sarah trusted God. Be like Sarah. Sarah didn't believe. Sarah laughed and scoffed. And yet God kept his promise. This isn't about believe like Sarah, see Sarah as an example, or Abraham as an example. This is about see what God can do in all of this. And the other thing is we see the big picture of the Bible, we hear another echo. Don't know whether you've noticed it as we've been hearing this story. Another woman told that she will have a son. She hears the promise that comes from the angel and she's skeptical. She says, how can this be? Sarah said, I'm too old. Mary said, I'm too young. I'm a very How can this be? And the response that the angel gave to Mary is the same response that was given to Sarah. Nothing is impossible for God. And Jesus will be the new Isaac. Jesus will be the new laughter. Jesus is our Isaac. He is given to us as Isaac was given to Sarah and Abraham to be our hope, our future, our promise. See what God do. See what God is giving you. And it turns our sadness and our brokenness to a new laughter, a new joy. You know, Christians should be people that laugh. Not the reverend, I am jolly. Sometimes I think the last thing we do is laugh. You know, I, I have to say when we went to that wedding reception and there's all this laughter and joy, that, as I say, there's a wee bit of me thought, this can't be right. God wants us to laugh with joy. Laugh with joy at what he's done. 
And that also, by the way, means that we can laugh at ourselves. You know, one of the troubles with this world is that folk laugh at other people, but they're not so good at laughing at themselves. Christians can laugh at themselves because we can say with humility, we can say with humility, (laughs) this is amazing. Who would have thought that God could do this through me? Who would have thought that God would include me? Who would have thought that God would call me? And I'm not defensive about you saying I'm rubbish because the more you say I'm rubbish, the more I look and think, well, isn't it amazing what God's done? Isn't it amazing that God stands with me? Isn't it amazing that God keeps loving me despite it all? So I can be honest. It's one of the things that, 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 that Paul will say time and time again in the New Testament. Christians boast, but we boast in him, not in ourselves. We can laugh at ourselves. We're ridiculous. We're fools. But look at what God has done in Christ Jesus. And notice Sarah's story. This whole second bit is all about laughter. Abraham calls the child laughter. She says, I'm laughing. Everybody's laughing at me or with me. The Hebrew's a little bit unclear. And it doesn't matter. But what's that laughter referring to? It's referring back to that part of Sarah's life where she was so bitter. That part of Sarah's life that she was so ashamed of at the time that she lied. You laughed. No, I didn't. You know, she's like a politician. Can't actually say I'm sorry. Can't actually admit my wrong. But that's not just politicians, it's all of us. Hardest work. Show my vulnerability. Show that I got it wrong. But the Christian doesn't have to worry about that because what we've experienced is that God has used me despite all of that. That's what Sarah knew that day. And so we laugh at the delight that God is at work in us. By the way, as we do that, with the openness that's willing to admit our brokenness and the joy in what the Lord has done, the laughter is infectious. The strongest weapon we have to share our faith is to share our brokenness and our joy in what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's not about theological arguments. It's not about a big, strong church that's doing all this stuff. It's about broken people being able to say, look, I'm just like you. I'm even worse than you. I'm not pretending I'm special or I've done amazing things. But let me tell you about this God. (laughs) It's ridiculous what he did with me. He loved me. He gave his son for me. Me? And that's the joy in which we should laugh our heads off.